Now we're turning this morning in our Bible to Genesis 37. As you turn to the place, I have to acknowledge, you're probably well aware, uh, last week was a very, very busy week and with a number of funerals adding into the mix, it turned out to be a very uh, eventful but stressful time and I was pondering in my head um, what to preach and when I left you yesterday morning I was still in a quandary what I was preaching on today and I'm so thankful that the Lord gave me uh, what I believe is two uh, messages and we're going to preach the first of these uh, today and it's connected to the story that we told to the children uh, over many many weeks and that's the story of Joseph in the Bible. And what I want us to think about today is the Christ-likeness of Joseph. So we're just going to read from Genesis 37, and we're going to read the first eight verses together. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land, wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, I hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves arose, stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 37, verses 2 right through to 5. And my theme this Boxing Day 2021, I've entitled, A Portrait of Christ in the Life of Joseph, or simply put, The Christ-Likeness of Joseph. Now, the book of Genesis is better known as the book of beginnings. And the book of Genesis has 50 chapters, young people. And these 50 chapters actually span... <clears throat> the first 15, 1600 years of the history of the world. 
You see, in Genesis chapter 1, you've got the divinely inspired summary or divinely inspired story of how God made the whole universe in the space of six literal 24-hour days. And in Genesis 1, 26, you've got the story of the creation of man. Remember, God said, let us make man in our image. And also moving into chapter 22, or two, which opens up a little bit more, you have the story of God uh, making a woman from Adam's rib. And then you've got the story of the first wedding. God officiated, remember, at the first wedding. He instituted marriage. Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25. In Genesis 3, you've got the story of man's fall into sin and us in him and in a state of sin and misery. In Genesis 4, you've got the uh, story of the first family, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. You've also got the story of the first murder. Cain murdered his brother Abel in cold blood because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and offering and did not accept Cain's. Then you've got the story of Noah and the building of the ark. The story of God's judgment in the old world by a universal flood. You've got the story of a man called Enoch who walked with God. You've got the story of the division of the people and the languages across the world. You've got the story of the fall of the Tower of Babel. And all that I've said is encompassed in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1 through to chapter 11. And then from Genesis chapter 12, right through to verse chapter 36, you've got the story of the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then from chapter 37 right through to chapter 50, you've got the amazing story of the character of Joseph. The life of Joseph in the Bible spans 13 chapters. That's a, a quarter of the book of Genesis. And the amazing details of Joseph's life really begin for us in Genesis 37. Here's the Holy Spirit transferring our thoughts from Jacob, who has now returned from exile, back living in the promised land, to his son Joseph. Remember who Joseph is. He's the firstborn of Rachel. Joseph is one of the great saintly characters in the Bible. There's not one of word of evil is recorded or reported of Joseph as the record of his life stands in the pages of Holy Scripture. Not suggesting Joseph was sinless. He was not. Solomon said, there's not a just man that liveth and sinneth not. Joseph was a sinner. Joseph was saved by the grace of God. And that sovereign saving grace that saved him was manifest, I believe, in his life in a very, very significant, remarkable way. Because his life stands as a faithful illustration to every Old Testament believer and New Testament believers who love the Lord in truth. However, in addition to this, Joseph in his life and the events that happened to him, we see a remarkable correlation, a remarkable foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as I think of Genesis 37 right through to 50 and read the story of Joseph, I see in the life and times of Joseph a remarkable portrait of Christ. 
So I present this portrait to you this morning. A portrait of Christ in the life of Joseph, or simply the Christ-likeness of Joseph. Now let's see a number of things. There's five here that I want to leave with you. I want you to think of the historicity of Joseph and Christ. Look at chapter 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. Now, we're going to pause there. Joseph, remember, is the 11th son that's born to Jacob. Why was Joseph mentioned first? I'll come back to that. But let's pause for a moment. Joseph being 17 years old. You see, many today deny the historicity of the Bible. They argue that the Old Testament record of the story of creation and the fall of man into sin and the first family and the first wedding and Noah and the ark and Joseph, oh, that's the stuff of legends. Imagine a Hebrew prisoner becoming the prime minister of Egypt. Aye, dead on. You see, they view it as mere folklore stuff. They think the writer has a great imagination. That's the stuff of Hollywood. That's not reliable. That's without foundation. Do you know what? You Christians, you need to realize this. The Bible's at odds with science. At odds with history. Here's one for Sarah Jane. At odds with archaeology. You see, many have massive obstacles in accepting the Bible as being true. Let's think, boys and girls, young people, the story of Joseph. The Bible's an error. The Bible's not infallible. The Bible's not true. There never was a character called Joseph. There never was a Hebrew prisoner who became prime minister of Egypt. We don't believe it, even though it's in the Bible. But listen to this, and I don't need archaeology to prove the Bible's true. In 2009, not that long ago, They found coins in Egypt dating back 5,000 years. And whose image is on the coin? Well, the answer is a man called Joseph. And you've got the date, you've got the image, and you've even got his occupation, prime minister of Egypt. Can you imagine that? You could Google it. These coins are known as the Joseph coins. These coins have immense value monetarily. They have immense value historically in relation to Egypt. They have immense value archaeology. But they have an immense value biblically. Because they help prove the fact that the scripture is true. Joseph was in Egypt. He was there as a prisoner and he became the prime minister. And you've got his name, you've got the date, and you've got his profession. And it all helps confirm, young people, the absolute accuracy of the Bible. And what archaeologists have discovered in the past, especially in the Middle East, and we thank God for archaeology and the role of the archaeologist, But all they're doing 
is helping to prove the accuracy of the word of God, to, to prove the testimony of the Bible. Remember Solomon said, Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. And you see, we could say God has spoken. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. And whatever you need to know about the Savior or the subject of salvation or the subject of sanctification or supplication or service or, or, or eternal security, it's all here in the book. See, Joseph really lived. He was a prisoner. He did become the prime minister, as the Bible says. He was a real, true, historical figure. Let me add something else. So did the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Turn over there in your Bible. I'm not going to turn to every reference this morning, but I'm excited about this one. Matthew chapter 1. And look with me at verse 1. We'll read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse 17. It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In Matthew 1, verse 17, we read, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. You see, there's plenty of evidence for the historicity of Christ and his person and work. With all the evidence in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Four Gospels, like four pictures presenting Christ and all the fullness of his person and work. But you know what? The Lord's so good to us. He has given us external evidence. You see, at that time, there was a Roman historian. His name was called Flavius Josephus. And he recorded the fact that in the first century, there was a, a person called Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was born in Bethlehem, who lived amongst men, who died in horrible death of crucifixion, whose followers testified that he'd rose again bodily from the dead. Now, was Flavius Josephus making it all up? No, he's an historian. He's recording it all as the Lord gives them help, recording it faithfully. External evidence. Do we really need it? Not really. We believe the scriptures, but it's there and God has given it to us because it's a help to prove the historicity of Christ. The historicity of Joseph and Jesus. That's the first point. We're doing well. Think secondly of the harmony of Joseph and Jesus. You see, if we compare the lives of these two, Joseph and Jesus, we get a remarkable foreshadowing in the life of Joseph of the heavenly Joseph. Over there in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 24, we read about the day of Joseph's birth. Genesis 30 and verse 24. And it says, in Genesis chapter 30, verse 23, speaking of Rachel, maybe we should go back to verse 22, and God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. 
And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. There's a record of Joseph's birth. Joseph was born of Rachel. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter 37, and we read there in the uh, verse um, 3, Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And we know from the record, I've already read it, Genesis 30, 24, that she called his name Joseph. Now Joseph means adding. And what did she say? The Lord shall add to me another son. And the Lord did that. Six years later, after Joseph was born, Benjamin was born. Joseph had a brother called Benjamin. But Joseph was known as the firstborn of Rachel. And who's the firstborn of Mary? The Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1 verse 25. And he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. The Lord Jesus is also called the firstborn of every creature. The book of Colossians. And he's also called the firstborn from the dead. You see, isn't there a blessed unity in the Bible? Here's the foreshadowing of the heavenly Joseph in the life of the earthly Joseph. There's a record of his birth. He was the firstborn. Do you know that the name Joseph means adding? I've already told you that. Turn over there in your Bible to Second uh, Peter And look with me at chapter 1. And it says this. And besides this, verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Now these are the things that the Apostle Peter is encouraging persecuted Christians in his day to add to their saving faith. Now I want you to think of Joseph. He's a young lad, 17 years of age. He's sold as a slave. He's been brought into Egypt. He's been purchased by a man called Potiphar. He's in Potiphar's house. Soon, we don't know the exact time span. Could be a month, it could be a year. But he has been elevated to the chief steward in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife, of course, tempts Joseph to come lie with him. He refused, of course, to capitulate to her suggestion. He says in Genesis 39 and verse 9, How can I do this great wickedness, listen to this, and sin against God? What was he doing? He was adding to his saving faith, his trust in the Lord. He was adding virtue. He he, he was adding this mindset of hating sin and loving righteousness. Let's think of the heavenly Joseph. The Lord Jesus Christ never sinned in thought and word and deed. He said, the prince of this world cometh and of nothing in me. We read in him, he did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. And what did they do to Joseph? They put him in prison. And what did he do in prison? Well, here's one of the things that he did. He added to his virtue, his pure life, he added knowledge. 
Because if we read the record in the prison house, God gave him knowledge to interpret the dreams. Think of the butler and the baker. You see, the Lord was with Joseph. How long was he in prison? Well, we have suggested at least 13 years. It may have been shorter. It certainly wasn't any longer, because if you think of, he was 17 when he went to Egypt, and he was 30 years of age, which we'll show you in a moment from the scriptures, when he came out of the prison house. So that gives us the period of at least 13 long years. And in the prison, he added to his knowledge, temperance, self-control, and patience. How do I know that? Well, again, you see in the Bible, we read in Psalm 105, verse 17, he sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was led in iron until the time that the word, his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. When he came out of the prison house, he was 30 years of age. How do I know that? Genesis chapter 41, and look with me at verse 46. This is what it says. Genesis 41, 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. You see, Pharaoh, remember, had a dream. He had two dreams. The lean cows and the fat cows and the lean ears of corn and the fat one ear of corn. And when he stood before Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked this question. Where could I find such a man of wisdom, grace, and godliness? And again, the answer is given to us in Genesis 41 and in the verse 38. Can we find such a one as this? A man in whom the Spirit of God is. And when he came out of prison at 30 years of age... He was now the prime minister of Egypt. And what did he do when he came out of prison? He added another thing to his life. And this was brotherly kindness when he got face to face with his brothers. Remember, they hated him without a cause. Did he treat them badly? Did he treat them roughly? Did he say off with their heads? Did he say, vengeance is mine, I'll repay? Did he get even? No, he met them with love and compassion and with tears. There was no spirit of revenge. He added to that brotherly kindness, love, because his love does brethren, even though they hated him. Now, when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke 2, verse 52, the Lord Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Could I tell you something else about the harmony between Joseph and Jesus? It's interesting. Joseph had two names. He had the name Zephnah Paneah, which means a revealer of secret. And he had the name Joseph, which means adding. 
The Lord Jesus had two names, Son of Mary. He's also known as Son of God. Isn't it interesting that Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel? Genesis 30, verse 24. And if you turn over there to um, 1 Chronicles chapter 5, look with me at verse 1. Let's ask this question. In Genesis 37, I've already pointed out, the Bible says these are the generations of Jacob. Who was the firstborn of Jacob? A man called Reuben. doesn't say Reuben in Genesis 37 and 2. It says Joseph being 17 years of old. 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but forasmuch as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. You see, Reuben was indeed the firstborn of Jacob to Leah. But Reuben lost his birthright due to sin. And who was next in line? The next in line was the firstborn son of Rachel. But Rachel was barren for a long time. And then the Lord opened her womb and Joseph was born. Do you understand that the second firstborn got the birthright? And the firstborn son lost the birthright. Oh, think of Adam, the firstborn the first man. What happened? He lost. Paradise was lost. The second Adam came to take the birthright, namely the Lord Jesus, and restore all that Adam had lost and have paradise restored. Oh, let's ask this question. What did Joseph do? What was his occupation? 17 years of age? Some of you are 17 or 18. What are you doing? Well, Joseph was a shepherd. We're told he was feeding his father's flock with his brethren. And because he was such a good, faithful son, Jacob gave him a coat of many colors, and it was a special coat for a special son. And you know that special coat of many colors set Joseph over and above his brethren. It made him the chief shepherd. It made him the chief overseer. It distinguished him. It made him a ruler among his brethren. Look at chapter 37 and look with me at verse 8. Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now is the Lord Jesus Christ not called the good shepherd in the Bible three times? John 10 verse 11, two times. And John 10, 14. Is he not called that great shepherd of the sheep? Hebrews 13 and 20. Is he not called the chief shepherd? 1 Peter 5 and 4. And what do shepherds do, young people? Well, they look after the sheep. Their chief interest is the welfare of the sheep, the well-being of the sheep. And when they're lost and go astray, he he goes after them. And, And his job is to feed them and protect them and care for them. It's wonderful that Joseph was a shepherd and the Lord Jesus was a shepherd. Notice that Israel loved Joseph. He was known as his father's well-beloved son. Genesis 37 verses 3 and 4 tells us that twice. That's not to be missed. 
And who said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased? Matthew 3, 17. Well, God the Father did about God the Son. He said the same thing in Matthew 17, verse 5, the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And in Colossians 1, 13, he's called his dear son. Three times in the Bible. Is that by coincidence? Is that by accident? No, I believe the Holy Ghost has put it there. Remember the Lord Jesus lived in heaven with his father. He was sent to earth. He was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect sinless life, died an atoning death, rose again bodily from the dead. Now he lives in heaven for us. You see, Joseph, as he lived his life, lived a life of obedience to his father. He was ready to carry out his father's will. 17 years of age, he sent to go and feed the flock with his brethren. Genesis 37, verse 13, gives us the information. Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he went out of the vale of Hebron to Shechem. And it's all connected to what? The welfare of his brethren. Think with me for a moment of the purity of Jesus and Joseph. It says in Genesis 37 verse 2, And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. See the other eleven brethren, they were unworthy of such a coat of many colors. They were unworthy of the role of being overseer. Reuben, well he was involved with an incestuous relationship with his father's wife. Simon and Levi were covenant breakers. Think of their treatment of the men of Shechem. They left the villages. They left the little sheep with the hired help to engage in acts of sin. Drunkenness, fornication, and adultery. And Joseph was unlike them. He didn't engage in any such act. He had such a great responsibility that he brought to his father a very gracious report. He told all to his father. And because of such a relationship with his father... And Joseph loving righteousness and hating sin. See, the Lord Jesus, remember, did no sin. He knew no sin in him was no sin. Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9. He was not a gossiper. He was not a talebearer. He talked to his brethren. He told them off. They wouldn't listen. See, they didn't like to be told about their sin or, or the need to repent. They argued, shall you reign over us? They hated him not only for his dreams, but they hated him more because of his words. Joseph is a faithful, reliable, true witness. Joseph was like the Lord Jesus. Here's a remarkable life, foreshadowing Christ. This man added things to his life. The Lord Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. This man had two names. This man was the firstborn of his mother. He had the birthright. This man had the shepherd's occupation. This man was his father's well-beloved son. So was Christ. This man loved righteousness and hated sin. This man was a faithful and reliable witness. So was Christ. You see the harmony of Jesus and Joseph coming out. I want you to think of something else. The hostility of Joseph and Jesus. You see, how was Joseph treated? The Bible tells us they hated and despised him. Look at Genesis 37 and verse 
3. Verse 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And it says in verse 8, And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Do you see that? Do you know what it's written of Christ? In John 15, 25, They hated me without a cause. And where did they put Joseph? They put him into a pit. They were planning to kill him. They sold him as a slave into Egypt. Egypt's a tight of the world. How much did they sell him for? 20 pieces of silver, because he was only a lad. The Lord Jesus would come into the world. He made the world, remember? The Bible says he came unto his own, his own received him not. He was despised and hated and rejected of men. He was sent to save Egypt. He came into Egypt as a servant. In fact, the word is a bond slave. And and how was he treated? He was hated and despised. Remember they took that coat of honor and they dipped it in blood. The blood of an animal told lies to his father. Spun a story. We found this in the way. The father thought he was dead. And we think of the heavenly Joseph, the Lord Jesus, took a form of a servant. He humbled himself. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 9. And as a servant, remember, he had come into this world to do the Father's will. Remember the time he took the towel and the basin, the feet washing exercise, an amazing display of a servant. Joseph was falsely accused. The Lord Jesus was falsely accused, trumped up charges. Joseph was accused of an act of indecency with Potiphar's wife. She told lies to her husband. Remember, he's a Hebrew slave. She said he tried to rape me. I don't believe Potiphar really believed it. Why did he not kill Joseph on the spot? He put him into prison. And yet in prison he was treated well and kindly because the Lord was with him. He had a presence, he had a peace, he had a power. He was punished for being sinless. Punished for being good. And wasn't our Lord Jesus punished for being sinless? Wasn't he punished for our sins on the tree? I want you to think fourthly, not only of the hostility of Joseph and Jesus, but think of the the happenings of Joseph and Jesus. In prison, two men were alongside Joseph in prison. Two companions were being punished with him. Two men who were suffering the same fate, the butler and the baker. When the Lord Jesus was led to be crucified, how many thieves were with him? Two. In In prison, Joseph had a message of life for one and a message of death for the other. When the Lord Jesus died in Mount Calvary, he had a message of life for one and a message of death to the other. Genesis chapter 40, verse 18. Three days was mentioned. One of you will be sentenced to death. That was the baker. One of you will be sentenced to life. That was the butler. Think of the Lord Jesus on the cross. He saved one man. The other died as he lived because he refused to recognize his sin and repent. Is that coincidence? I put it to you, it's not. Is that accidental? I put it to you, it's not. You see, the Holy Spirit is superintending the book. The book's true. The book is accurate. Here's the happenings in the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph. And there's a wonderful foreshadowing here. And one final thing. The honoring of Jesus and Joseph. Do you know that Joseph had a period of humiliation and suffering? And he had a period of exaltation and glory. One morning, 
Joseph's in prison. That afternoon, he's now the new prime minister of Egypt. Great humiliation, suffering, and then great exaltation and glory. Joseph is removed from prison in a moment. He's exalted and fully justified. Genesis chapter 41 verse 9. He's rewarded. And never again will he enter the prison house. And the moment he entered Pharaoh's palace, that whole palace belonged to him. Don't we read in Isaiah 53 and 8, he was taken from prison and judgment. He knew nothing more of the prison house. He was out of the prison house. You've got to think of his death. You've got to think of his resurrection. He, he, he endured the wrath of God. The fire of God's wrath fell upon him. And yet, after that period of suffering, he rose again bodily from the dead. Jesus is alive. He's called out of the grave, out of the prison house, and he's power to overcome. And Joseph and Jesus were given heights of prominence. Genesis 42 and 20. All of Egypt was under Joseph's feet. 1 Corinthians 15 and 27 God has put all things under the feet of Christ. God the Son sits next to God the Father on the throne. Joseph sat next to Pharaoh on the throne. Jesus Christ is co-equal and co-eternal. He's the mediator of the new covenant. Let me throw this in as we finish. Joseph and Jesus, they were the saviour of the known world. In the heights of the famine, people were directed to go to Joseph. Genesis 42, verses 21 to 24. You can read it for yourself. They were directed to him. Go to Joseph. And now the message of the gospel is go to Jesus. He's the savior of the world. Not the church, not the baptismal fund, not the Lord's table. Go to Jesus and receive him. Listen to him. Do as he says. Joseph and Jesus were full of compassion. Didn't Joseph weep when he saw his brethren? Didn't Jesus weep? He didn't hold the sins against his brethren. He, he forgave them. And who forgives us our sins? None other than the Lord Jesus. And Joseph and Jesus were crowned. Joseph became the prime minister. He had a ring, he had a vesture, he had a crown. People knelt before him, people bowed. Could you just imagine that? The, the Hebrew prisoner, the prime minister, and they're bowing to him. And our Lord Jesus, you know, he's king of kings and lord of lords. And, and one day, even the devil, and all the imps of hell, and all the ungodly masses of men, the kings, the queens, and all the people who've denied him, they're all going to bow the knee and declare that Jesus is Lord. See, that's the power of God. And I present this little message to you this morning. And as we wrap this up, I want you to think of this. Not only the historicity of Joseph and Jesus. Not only the wonderful harmony that's there in the Bible. Not only the hostility that was meted out to them. But the happenings in their life. There's a correlation, there's a parallel. But also the honoring. Can you see him crowned? Have you bowed the knee to him? Is he your Lord? Is your Savior? What would happen as I finish? If somebody in Egypt, a proud Egyptian, that's a Hebrew prisoner, prime minister, not in your life, not in your Nelly. 
Here's Joseph coming by, and this man, he doesn't bow. He doesn't kneel. What would happen? Off with his head. He'd be given opportunity, of course. He'd be shown mercy. But he would have died if he hadn't have shown reverence to the newly crowned ruler. What about those who trample under their feet the name, the blood, the salvation of Christ, the gift of Christ? What will happen to them? They'll be cast into hell, the lake of fire for all eternity, for the refusal to bow the knee to Christ. I urge you, if you haven't bowed the knee to Christ, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, remember he's honored now. He's got a crown now, and he calls you to receive him, and he calls you to know him. May the Lord bless you today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.